conservative? You bet. Controversial? Right again. It's time to squabble on the Jim Benson Show. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Jim Benson Show, conservative talk radio covering the issues that concern you here on the BBS radio network. Well, there's a lot going on as usual. Let's start with a few of the more interesting things that have happened just recently since the last show. And I'm not talking about the issue with the Supreme Court and and, uh, this mass shooting that occurred yesterday in Buffalo. But yesterday I was on the internet and came across a hit piece on a politician by one of the mainstream media's mouthpieces for the communist left. The article stated that among their other flaws, this politician had made false claims that the 2020 election was rigged. Oh my. Why, we all know that the 2020 election was the most free and fair election in history. That the corrupt fraud Joe Biden received the most votes of any presidential candidate in history and was elected in a sweeping victory with a mandate to transform America, which he is doing. That is to turn America as we have known it into something unrecognizable, into a decaying, faltering, weak, and morally corrupt, bankrupt nation state that will then be easily vanquished by a constantly rising world communist superpower, China, or rather the communist Chinese party, the CCP. I don't know about you, but after repeatedly considering the mountain of credible evidence for it, I have no doubt the 2020 election was indeed rigged to install Joe Biden in the White House with a mission to destroy this country. I would also argue, to paraphrase the pro-communist oligarch globalist politician and epic Trump hater Hillary Clinton in her comment about Donald Trump, that Biden knows he's an illegitimate president. And Hillary knows it also, I strongly suspect. But that's what communist so-called liberals and other leftists do. They lie and say you're lying. They engage in fraud, that is deception and trickery, and boisterously contend their opponents are doing it. As I've long said, leftists, who always have the mainstream media outlets as their lackeys and sycophants to parrot and trumpet their claims, can be characterized by three things. Self-righteous hatred, disguised as righteous indignation at supposed great injustice. Fraud, again, that is deception and outrageous hypocrisy. That last trait is amply illustrated by those leftist politicians and their supporters among our oligarchs and globalists with their fabulous fortunes made from helping the CCP's leadership, rather the CCP leadership's red aristocracy, as they are known, rig the Chinese economy and rape China's environment and people. For those of us who believe that the left with the help of corrupt supposed conservatives, did rig the 2020 election, as well as elections before and after, the most shocking and sickening aspect of all this is 
that it, that there was so much of our judiciary that turned their backs on the American people and constitution and refused to even look at the mounting evidence of widespread, systematic, and well-organized voter and election fraud in the 2020 election. Even a clear majority of our own Supreme Court, with the exception of Justices Thomas and Alito, voted to refuse to even consider this evidence. We'll hear more about this in a few moments. I have to think that those many members of our state and federal judiciary who betrayed the American people and Constitution were and are afraid, afraid of the huge block of our governmental, social and business elites who were dead set against Donald Trump and adamant that he be removed from office. Why? Because Donald Trump stood up to the appalling evil, corruption. An extreme danger, extremely dangerous Chinese Communist Party. And Trump was perceived to be a threat to the CCP's powerful influence and the continued flow of money to our elites from China and to China, along with their other assistance from our elites and government. Getting back to the rigged election of 2020, if, you are listening, if you've been listening to this program, you are aware of MyPillow.com CEO and election integrity warrior Mike Lindell and his team's claims that communist China and other foreign actors were involved in cyber attacks on electronic voting equipment used in the 2020 election and were able to flip millions of votes cast for Donald Trump to Joe Biden. You can watch numerous video documentaries the Lindell team has produced about these cyber attacks on Lindell's free speech website, frankspeech.com. The problem I have with the case for these cyber attacks is that while Lindell does present a lot of, to me, credible evidence for them, a number of the computer and cybersecurity experts who present this information for him have their identities obscured to protect their safety, which, of course, is a good idea. And much of the evidence presented is of highly technical nature and not readily understandable to laymen like myself. Still, Lindell unfailingly unfailingly continues to contend that all of of this evidence can be conclusively proven in court and has filed lawsuits to do just that, although it takes time to get these things before judges and juries. Along with this is the contention by voting machine companies, which administered the 2020 election across the country. That since they are private entities, they are not required to make their proprietary equipment and software subject to forensic examination, which would presumably show these cyber attacks conclusively. Such a claim is, if I understand the argument correctly, absurd, according to Lindell attorney and constitutional scholar Alan Dershowitz, a Harvard law professor, or a former one, he's not currently, he maintains running their that by running our elections these companies thus become part of the government and are therefore subject to required transparency of their operations all this will have to be decided in court and we can only hope for the best as to what becomes of it but the cyber attacks are only part of the claims and evidence of massive election and vote fraud in the 2020 election On previous episodes of this program, I've mentioned the recently released video documentary titled Rigged, the Zuckerberg-funded plot to defeat Donald Trump. 
this video available over the internet for for a little uh, the internet for as little as five dollars discusses Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg's effort in 2020, funded with some 400 million dollars to promote to promote voting, most particularly in Democratic strongholds across the country. The video was produced by the group Citizens United which contends that this large-scale action alone was enough to have fraudulently and illegally swung the 2020 presidential election for Joe Biden. More recently, that is within the past two weeks since our last program, a new 2020 vote fraud documentary video produced by conservative commentator Dinesh D'Souza, his wife and a colleague, has been released, which D'Souza states shows conclusively that many thousands of mules that is paid Democratic operatives, a good number of them communist Black Lives Matter activists and rioters, were employed by left-wing activist groups to illegally deliver huge numbers of fraudulent ballots cast for Joe Biden to ballot drop boxes in all the key swing states that decided the election for Biden. The video is titled 2,000 Mules and is a reference to just the 2,000 of the most active of these illegally paid operatives. There were many thousands more who delivered the fraudulent votes for Biden in the swing states. Using sophisticated satellite satellite geo tracking of the mules cell phones, officials of the organization True the Vote were able to pinpoint, and I believe they stated it was in within four feet, the locations called, I think, stash houses where they picked up ballots and then their travels to ballot drop boxes where they dropped them off. And they only selected of these 2,000 were people who went to 10 or more of these drop boxes. There were many others who went to less. And there were, among those 2,000 people, many who went to many more drop boxes, as I understand it. If this happens in the future elections, the mules, I'm sure, will almost certainly be required to leave their phones at home now that they've been exposed. I purchased 2,000 mules for a little under $30, about a penny under $30. Uh, have watched it once so far and find the evidence presented compelling and convincingly showing that, as D'Souza states, Biden clearly lost and that the 2020 presidential election was the most corrupt election, at least in modern history in America. I strongly recommend that you purchase both these video uh, election documentaries and watch them if you care about saving our constitutional republic and don't want to become a CCP slave. To start with today's audio recordings, let's listen to a few minutes from the beginning of the one and a half hour long 2000 Mules documentary. The video begins with bumbling, fumbling, stumbling Joe Biden's now famous, or should I say infamous statement before the 2020 election about the Democrats' voter fraud organization they put together. Here, for me at least, it's clear that Biden and his handlers meant for him to say voter fraud prevention organization. But bumbling Biden inadvertently spoke the truth about what the Democrats' voter operation was really all about. And likewise, the big lie referred to by Biden, speaking about the 2020 election in the video, was actually not that the 2020 election was stolen. But the big lie is in reality that the 2020 election was not stolen. Like I said, they lie and say you're lying. They engage in trickery and say you're doing it. Then there's another leftist trait, as I mentioned, hypocrisy, 
recall that so much of what the left talked about day after day for years after the 2016 election, all over the media, was how allegedly Trump colluded with Russia to steal the 2016 election from Hillary Clinton. This, of course, was all another big lie in reality. There is no evidence for it whatsoever. But talk of voter election fraud in 2020 has been banned on these same big tech platforms or other mainstream media. Okay, let's hear the soundbite. Play soundbite one, please. We have put together, I think, the most extensive and inclusive voter fraud organization in the history of American politics. Elections are the lifeblood of our democracy. They are the mechanism by which the American people choose who is going to rule on their behalf and for their interests and welfare. Without elections, there would be no way for the American people, for us, to exercise our legitimate sway on the future direction of this country. in half the country and we are getting some interesting results coming in from those battleground states. If you're a Republican, you say, wow. If you're a Democrat, you say, uh-oh. Do you see Donald Trump is now starting to widen his lead? President Trump now with 54% of the vote. The president right now has the lead in the Keystone State. We're going to have a great night and we're going to have much more importantly, we're going to have a great four years. The 2020 election haunts the American mind. Here's where it gets really bizarre. At Fulton County, most populous county, it is Atlanta. They just stopped counting. Nevada, meanwhile, has stopped counting votes. They've all stopped counting for the night. All right, welcome back. This is CNN special live coverage, 1031 a.m. on the East Coast. Why am I giving you the time? Well, if you managed to sleep last night, things changed. You may have gone to bed thinking this election was headed one way, and then you woke up and you saw things were different. Also overnight, Joe Biden pulled ahead in the state of Georgia. Joe Biden takes the lead in Pennsylvania. Okay, we have an announcement to make. Joe Biden has run for president three times, and the third time has turned out to be the charm. One side insists it was the most secure election in U.S. history. Let me begin with one immutable fact. The 2020 election was the most secure election in American history. It was the cleanest election, the safest election, the most secure election ever run. And make no mistake, there has been no evidence of any significant whites or widespread voter fraud. Let me say it again. The 2020 election was the most secure election in American history. Period. This same side accuses anyone who disagrees with them of perpetrating a big lie or the big delusion. The big lie keeps getting repeated. The big lie is just that, a big lie. And despite a relentless media barrage, the other side remains convinced there was widespread election fraud. What I saw was not a secure and transparent election. Poll watchers claim the Travis County Clerk's Office is locking them out. Last night, there was a major software glitch that actually delayed the counting of all of the ballots. A look at election fraud, and I want to look at secretaries of state who illegally changed the voter laws without the permission of their state legislature. 
there have been numerous attempts to prove election fraud. The van dropping off ballots in the early morning hours of November 4th, eight hours past the deadline. She said her mother was in a nursing home and did not have the mental capacity to vote. We've obtained video tonight that shows a man dropping several ballots into a drop box. Scottsdale woman pleads guilty to casting a ballot in her dead mother's name. Shows a man buying a registration form for an absentee ballot from a voter, giving him, quote, pocket money, unquote, of $200. Yet courts have refused to consider these cases on the merits. The Supreme Court rejecting an effort by Republicans to reverse President-elect Joe Biden's win in Pennsylvania. Uh, the Supreme Court has rejected the Texas-led effort to toss out election results in four key states. Even some Republicans dismiss the idea of systematic fraud and call for us to move on. Fraud did not play a role in the outcome of the election. The election was fair, as fair as we've seen. Uh, we simply did not win the election as Republicans for the presidency. Rather than reject uh, what happened on the 6th, reject the lies about the election, um, and make clear that a, a president who engaged in those activities can never be president again. But we can't move on unless we know the truth. Many other issues arise out of the 2020 election. Did the January 6th protesters go to D.C. to mount an insurrection? It wasn't an insurrection. It was a primal scream. They wanted their elected leaders to adjudicate the claims of election fraud. The left's claim that this was the most secure election is also the foundation for the widespread censorship on social media of the so-called big lie. This morning, President Trump waking up without his favorite megaphone. You will never again see a tweet from President Trump. But is it a big lie? Is it a lie at all? Realize that in vaunted communist China, the supposed model for future world government so longed for by the communists, oligarchs, and globalists, there are no elections, except among the CCP elites at their five-year party congresses. And you can be sure that these elections are largely ceremonial, with the results having been previously decided. This is the fate of the CCP's friends and paid-off lackeys here in USA want for us. All the while believing that they will still be rich, powerful, and free, helping their friends in the CCP weaken and defeat America. All we have to do is look at the deadly internal rivalry, rivalries that are a constant fact of life among the CCP's red aristocracy – as they're called, that is the sons, daughters, grandsons, granddaughters of the original communists who were there with Mao when they took over in 1949. All we have to do is look at these people to know that that supposition by our foolish elites is a mirage and a fantasy, but they don't seem to get it. Well, we'll hear more about the CCP's internal rivalries later in our program today, but first let's hear Dinesh D'Souza speaking about voter fraud at Donald Trump's Save America rally in Pennsylvania, May 6th. Please play soundbite two. Oh my gosh, wow. 
You people are crazy. What are you doing here? Go home. This is madness. Well, you're here because you cannot be stopped. We can't be stopped. And the reason we can't be stopped is because the truth is on our side. So the Democrats and the left rigged the 2020 election. They knew it. They did it. They're the party of voter fraud. They've been doing it since the 19th century. But what happened under COVID is that the rules changed. All these drop boxes, all this mail-in ballot. And so the fraudsters realized that they could up the ante. They could magnify the fraud. They could do a whole lot more of it. And they did it. 2,000 mules. What's a mule? A mule is a paid political operative hired by a left-wing organization to deliver fraudulent and illegal votes to mail-in drop boxes. The number 2,000 is a ridiculous undercount of the number of mules. The real number is much greater. And the Democrats deployed them in all the key states, essentially to, to rig the election Here's some audio from Trump lawyers Rudy Giuliani, the former mayor of New York City and a well-known federal prosecutor, well-known and respected, I should say, former, and Jenna Ellis, a constitutional lawyer herself, discussing the shocking and cowardly refusal of many of our judiciary to even look at the mounting evidence of 2020 election fraud and vote fraud. This was from an interview Giuliani did with Ellis (coughs) May 6th at his residence and studio in Palm Beach, Florida, where the two of them had traveled to later view a premiere screening of 2000 Mules. Giuliani and Ellis were at the forefront of the efforts to reveal the massive and well-orchestrated voter fraud in 2020. In this interview, they're discussing the judiciary's refusal to consider the evidence of fraud in the election. Play stand by three, please. Hello, this is Rudy Giuliani, and I'm back with another episode of Rudy's Common Sense. Today we have with us really an exceptional lawyer, an exceptional person, a great patriot, and I must say, a very close friend and colleague, Jenna Ellis. And we couldn't have her at a better time, could we? Supreme Court, leaked decision, big change in the law, maybe, right? And then we have a National Bureau of Truth in Soviet, I mean, in America, and then so many other things to discuss, particularly with the uh, movie that we're both here uh, to watch tonight, 2000 Mules by Dinesh D'Souza. But you, you, you can't imagine how good a lawyer this lady is. Superb. I work with her under the worst of circumstances and she was the best jenna it's so wonderful it's so wonderful to have you thank you so much my friend and that was such a kind introduction and and, it's true and i appreciate that it was the worst of circumstances yeah and i think that when i look back on it now the groundwork that we laid 
particularly when we went to all of those different legislatures and got out the witnesses, that's the raw material on which everything else now will grow. And we knew it. I I think we knew at some point we weren't going to win and we we were laying a basis for history. Yes. And now it's nice to see that the history is starting to come forward. To show. And, you know, as, as you've told President Trump and as I have, the truth will always come out. And so even though we had such a short time frame to advocate for uh, the truth and to advocate for a remedy, once the legislatures failed, the courts failed, and um, ultimately the the case, the, the record and the proof didn't fail. It was the people in power that failed to listen to it. Uh, but once we saw that, you're right, we did preserve the record and we did at least preserve and I hope encourage the American people to continue always to fight for election integrity and to fight for our constitution. And there was no better champion than you during that whole effort. And you, uh, I think you remember, of course, like it was yesterday, our first hearing in Pennsylvania in get, Gettysburg. Get, no place better than Gettysburg, right? He turned on the Battle Hymn of the Republic on our way back. Yeah. I'll never forget that. We were in the back of the car and he's like, let me get to my Spotify. And we were all singing it and it was great. Do you remember President <laughs> Trump invited them all to the White House? Yes. He didn't realize it was 250 people. <laughs> yes. He got it down to about 40 or 50. And the Mastrianos, and the Mastrianos had COVID. <laughs> he and his whole family ended up testing positive. And then, and then the president says, well, you know what? Raise your hand if you haven't had COVID yet. And was just, he was so kind. To <laughs> yeah, he me, was. But it was a whole he was. Oh, but nice. you know, so you just, but we could go over all the hearings. We just focus on that hearing. We had maybe six, seven witnesses. They had six, seven witnesses of their own. All of them individual American citizens. All of them describing how they saw ballots uh, being double counted, triple counted. They never got to inspect 700,000 ballots. All kinds of things, right? No one's ever bothered to look at that testimony. And what's amazing, and you and I were talking about this at dinner last night, that um, the January 6th committee, of course, subpoenaed me, and they subpoenaed testimony, but also documents. And with, of course, the president's permission, um, I gave them all of those affidavits, all of that uh, evidence that at the time we had. And of course, we, you know, there's even more that has come to light, but over 9,000 pages of documents I gave to the January 6th committee. And it's now in the permanent congressional record. How many interviews do you think that I've done on the substance of those documents? And how many reporters called me after None. That? Zero. Yeah. Because just like the legislatures, just like the courts, they don't want to hear the evidence and inspect it on the merits. Uh, is it a shock? No. At, the, at this point, no. It's yeah, just – Back then. It's back then, honestly. When we started – Back started, then it was. When we started, and we started with the first case in Pennsylvania, didn't you think the judge would at least listen to the witnesses? That's what at judges least. are supposed to do. And and you and I, in our legal experience, when you bring a case, you at least have a hearing on the merits because, of course, we should have had standing when you have a client who is a candidate for the highest office in the land and is alleging that there was fraud in the election. Every other challenge, election challenge before and after that. That's okay to challenge, right. even up in New York and the Democrats. But for some reason, when it's Donald Trump, 
then no, we can't hear it. You don't have standing. All of these other rules that they manufactured and simply said no. And that was shocking. And it was against the law as well. I mean, we had we had two witnesses, Corey Lewandowski, who people know, and Pam Bondi, the former attorney general of this state, Florida, who had documentary evidence. They had a court order allowing them to see the paper ballots. The Democrats worked it out. They put up pens. They did 700,000 ballots. No Republican got to see a single one. When Corey and and uh, Pam went there, the sheriff would not enforce the order for two hours. He finally enforced the order when the, when the higher court, all Democrat, reversed it. Now, that testimony is... I mean, I've been practicing law 50 years. If that's not relevant testimony, there's no such thing as relevant, relevant testimony. testimony. And the judge barred it, excluded it. And that happened over and over again until we decided we had to go to the legislatures. That yes. the courts weren't going to hear us. I don't know if they made a pact. I don't know if they made an agreement, but they weren't going to hear witnesses. Which is absolutely absurd because just because you have testimony and you have a claim doesn't always mean that you'll prevail, but then it's up to the finder of fact, either a judge or a jury, depending on the case, of course, you know, for people who who misunderstand this and they're misled by the media, they don't understand that assessing the weight and credibility and ultimately the conclusion, which is, was there sufficient fraud that determined the outcome of the election? All of those things should have been heard on the merits. And the courts simply refused to assess uh, the credibility so of the I, evidence. I believe they were afraid. Oh, I, I, I think somewhere they decided we're staying out of this. Yeah. This is a political matter. No witnesses. Throw the cases out. Let them fight it out in the legislatures and the politics. We're going to John Roberts somewhere. We're going to stay out of it. And, and isn't that because it's outrageous? There's no such thing as not hearing witnesses on a motion for a preliminary injunction. Well, and, and the thing is that they completely bastardize in that articulation of this is that just because it deals with a campaign does not mean that it's inherently political. And so what I and and what you reaffirmed over and over again is the campaign was over. Now we're representing a legal issue. Right. And this could have been the rules of a contract that was that was damaged and breached. This could have been the rules of a homeowners association. This could have been in property law. It could have been in, you know, any other scenario that there was um the law was not followed. And so the fact that that they're thinking about it this way, and I believe um, the same that you do, that it was also out of fear. I think they didn't want to get harassed and bullied in the same way that you and I were and so many other lawyers um, who represented the president. Um, but but to have that view and to say, well, this is political, completely misunderstands what the judicial branch is for and what the law ultimately is for, because it's not political when it comes to ensuring there's accountability to follow election law or any other law. By now, you probably know, of course, you know, we really don't have a mainstream media that does its job. They're nothing but mouthpieces for the rich elites and their friends of the Communist Chinese Party. But you are probably aware that uh, Elon Musk has made the offer and it's been accepted to buy the Internet's left wing propaganda behemoth Twitter, which has permanently banned President Trump and many other conservatives. And to turn that entity into a true free speech platform. And Elon Musk is being viciously attacked because of that. 
some of us observing this uh, have their doubts about Musk as how, how much of a he's, he's been labeled eccentric and he does seem to go back and forth about what his beliefs are as far as uh, being, you know, as far as, but he, he's been pretty good about this thing. And uh, the, 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 the purchase is currently on hold pending an investigation of just how many bots uh, that is robot accounts that uh, Twitter has, but Musk has indicated he tends to go through with the deal. Anyway, Musk is said, uh, as I said, to be the world's richest man, at least until recently, when the, his firm Tesla stock plunged on value of, on on in value on reports that he uh, will have to sell much of it to cover the cost of his forty-four billion dollar bid for Twitter, which some people, such as Steve Bannon, former Trump advisor Steve Bannon, thinks is too much. But anyway, as I mentioned earlier, key traits of the political left are trickery and fraud. That is deception and hypocrisy. If you are aware of the left's fits of hysteria over Musk's pledge to allow the many conservative and right-wing commentators banned on Twitter to reactivate their accounts, it should come as no surprise that just as they rig elections and help the CCP rig the Chinese economy, so too does the left, supported by their rhino, that is Republicans in name only, oligarch and globalist allies, attempt to regulate speech here in the USA. And they do so to a considerable extent, even though we have something called the First Amendment, which allows the alternative media to thrive for the time being, as well as all over the world. I mean, they regulate they regulate speech here in the U.S. and they attempt to do this all over the world where they have the power. So it follows that the panicked political left is mounting a campaign of intimidation of Twitter advertisers to pressure Twitter to maintain its heretofore exclusion of free speech and maintain its tight reign on public discourse. Here's some audio from the recent program, the, the Epic, uh, from the, a recent program from the Epic Times TV network. It's from the Facts Matter program with Roman Balmakov and was rebroadcast on YouTube May 8. Play soundbite four, please. Good evening. This man right here is Elon Musk. And last week, after he purchased Twitter, well, just like that, it looks like the elites of the entire world turned against him. To start with, on April 25th was when Twitter officially accepted Elon Musk's offer of a buyout for $43 billion. And then, wouldn't you know it, just two short days later, on April the 27th, through sheer coincidence, the Biden administration's Department of Homeland Security, they announced the formation of something that they called a disinformation governance board in order to fight supposed misinformation. This is the agency that has been colloquially referred to as the Ministry of Truth, which is actually a fairly accurate description of this new agency, given the fact that they are now quite literally in the business of deciding what is and isn't misinformation. Then, just one day after this new agency was announced, the United States, alongside the European Union, as well as 32 other countries, they announced something called a Declaration for the Future of the Internet. Now, you might be asking yourself, what exactly is this declaration? I've never heard of such a thing. And that's a great question, because it's frankly not exactly clear, even though I've already read the entire thing. On its face, it's just a three-page document that broadly, and by broadly, I mean very, very broadly, lays out a vision for the future of the Internet. Here is, for instance, how this particular document begins. Quote, We are united by a belief in the potential of digital technologies to promote connectivity, democracy, peace, the rule of law, sustainable development, and the enjoyment of human rights and fundamental freedoms. But... 
access to the open internet is limited by some authoritarian governments, and online platforms and digital tools are increasingly used to repress freedom of expression and deny other human rights and fundamental freedoms. And so, as you can see from the way that this document is actually worded, it does not mention Twitter by name. But given the timing of this document's release, meaning the fact that it was released just three short days after Elon Musk's purchase of Twitter, well, it's not outside the realm of possibility to be at least partly related to Twitter's new free speech direction, especially given the fact that it includes segments like these. Quote, Online platforms have enabled an increase in the spread of illegal or harmful content that can threaten the safety of individuals and contribute to radicalization and violence. Disinformation and foreign malign activity is used to sow division and conflict between individuals or groups in society, undermining respect for and protection of human rights and democratic institutions. We believe we should meet these challenges by working towards a shared vision for the future of the internet that recommits governments and relevant authorities to defending human rights and fostering equitable economic prosperity. And then, in terms of what online platforms like Twitter can actually do in order to enact this declaration in the real world, well, they list it out rather clearly point by point, including this suggestion right here, quote, reaffirm our commitment that actions taken by governments, authorities, and digital services, including online platforms, to reduce illegal and harmful content and activities online be consistent with international human rights law, including the right to freedom of expression while encouraging diversity of opinion and pluralism without fear of censorship, harassment, or intimidation. Now, if this document actually does get enacted, I believe it's not outside the realm of possibility to expect many more disinformation governance boards popping up in countries across the entire world. That's the only way I can actually foresee something like that getting enforced. However, this was not the only swipe that Elon experienced after purchasing Twitter. That's because just earlier this week, 26 different NGOs, with many of them having links to George Soros, well, they signed a letter directed to large advertisers telling them to no longer run ads on Twitter unless they cave to their demands. Here's, in fact, how their letter begins. Quote, Elon Musk's takeover of Twitter will further toxify our information ecosystem and be a direct threat to public safety, especially among those already most vulnerable and marginalized. Now, just to pause here for a quick moment, when they say the most marginalized, well, something tells me they are now referring to uh, conservatives, libertarians, or just people who generally question the vast overreach of the government in the last few years. But I digress. The letter continues, quote, Twitter has outsized influence in shaping both public discourse and industry-wide platform governance standards. While the company is hardly a poster child for healthy social media, it has taken welcome steps in recent years to mitigate systemic risks, ratcheting up pressure on the likes of Facebook and YouTube to follow suit. Musk intends to steamroll those safeguards and provide a megaphone to extremists who traffic in disinformation, hate, and harassment. Under the guise of free speech, his vision will silence and endanger marginalized communities and tear at the fraying fabric of democracy. Now, just to pause here for another quick moment, when I read this, a light bulb went off in my mind, and I realized that in a certain sense, they are right. Because looking back, it actually does seem like all of the big tech censorship that we've experienced over the past, let's say, four years or so, does seem to originate from Twitter, and then it gets dispersed to the other platforms. Just as one example, Twitter was the first to ban President Trump off their platform, after which all the others seem to follow suit. Which actually brings us neatly along to the next point that the NGOs actually want to have enacted. That's because this letter, well, it has a very clear call to action to all of Twitter's largest advertisers. Here's what it says, quote, We call on you. Twitter's top advertisers to commit to these standards as non-negotiable requirements for advertising on the platform. 
And then below that, these NGOs go on to list some of their demands, which they say the advertisers should pressure Twitter to enact, which include this, quote, keeping accounts, including those of public figures and politicians that were removed for egregious violations of Twitter rules, such as harassment, violence, and hateful conduct of the platform, and continue to enforce the civic integrity policy along with the hateful conduct policy. Now, of course, the reference to politicians there is a direct nod to people like President Trump, Marjorie Taylor Greene, as well as Congressman Jim Banks, who was suspended from the platform of Twitter for referring to Dr. Rachel Levine as a man. In case you're not aware, that is an actual reason that people can get kicked off the platform. The letter then continues by urging the advertisers to push Twitter towards more algorithmic accountability, to preserve people's privacy in a, in a more robust way, as well as to commit to being more transparent, and also, quote, to make sure that you smash that like button and subscribe to the Facts Matter YouTube channel in order to get honest news coverage delivered directly to your newsfeed every single weekday. Now, of course, I'm just kidding about that last point, although, of course, I'm also not kidding, and I do hope that you smash both that like button as well as that subscribe button. Regardless, though, getting back to the actual letter here, after they finish listing all the demands for these large advertisers, the letter rounds itself out, and it ends this way, quote, As top advertisers on Twitter, your brand risks association with a platform amplifying hate, extremism, health misinformation, and conspiracy theorists. Under Musk's management, Twitter risks becoming a cesspool of misinformation with your brand attached, polluting our information ecosystem in a time where trust in institutions and news media is already at an all-time low. Your ad dollars can either fund Musk's vanity project or hold them to account. We call on you to demand Musk uphold these basic standards of community trust and safety and to pull your advertising spending from Twitter if they are not. And then right below that is a list of the signatories of this letter, which includes some organizations that you might have heard of, such as Access Now, Black Lives Matter Global Network Foundation, the Center for Countering Digital Hate, Gender Equity Policy Institute, the Global Project Against Hate and Extremism, the American Chapter of Media Matters, you have NARAL, which is a pro-choice organization here in America, you have the Religious Coalition for Reproductive Choice, Stop Online Violence Against Women Incorporated, the Union of Concerned Scientists, as well as the Women's March. Now, this letter was sent to these big advertisers, such as Coca-Cola, Disney, and Kraft Foods, directly ahead of the 2022 New Front Digital Advertising Conference, it's a fairly big conference, in order to put pressure on them so that they can in turn put pressure on Twitter. And if you recall, this is not the first time that such a campaign has been initiated within the last few years. Because back in the year 2020, there was a similar boycott on Facebook, which saw large advertisers like Adidas and Starbucks pulling their ads over what, what they said, at least, was Facebook's failure to keep hate speech from spreading. And it looks like these organizations are trying once again to pull the same move on Twitter. However, shortly after they sent this letter, Elon Musk fired back by posting this on his own platform. Quote, Who funds these organizations that want to control your access to information? Let's investigate. Sunlight is the best disinfectant. Which, at least in my opinion, was a great question. And the answer, to very few people's surprise, is that based on what we can actually find, because many of these organizations don't actually reveal their donor lists, but based on what we do know, the funding appears to come from an assortment of dark money groups like George Soros' Open Society Foundation. You have NGOs that were founded by former Clinton and Obama administration staffers. You have wealthy Democrat donors and their family foundations. You have labor unions and the governments of European nations. In fact, Fox Business did a deep dive analysis and they explained the details surrounding the funding of those organizations this way, quote, 
Many of the groups that signed the letter have been financially backed by George Soros' Open Society Foundations and teachers' unions, including the American Federation of Teachers, the AFT, and the National Education Association, the NEA. Narrow Pro-Choice America, a pro-abortion nonprofit, is backed in part by the AFT and the Service Employees International Union, otherwise known as the CEIU, according to Influence Watch. The Women's March, a feminist group, is funded in part by AFT and the Soros-backed Move On. The group's Free Press and Religious Coalition for Reproductive Choice, which also signed the letter, are funded, at least in part, by Soros' Open Society Institute. Multiple European governments are also major donors to one of the letter's signatories. Access Now, which discloses its funding online, is backed in part by the Swedish government's developmental agency, otherwise known as CEDA, the governments of Canada, Denmark, Germany, and the Netherlands, as well as Soros' Open Society Foundations. Now, it is worth mentioning that outside of this pressure campaign, the 91-year-old George Soros's grip on the media is fairly extensive and well-documented. In fact, there was a phenomenal book by Mr. Matthew Palumbo. It was called The Man Behind the Curtain, Inside the Secret Network of George Soros. And in it, Matthew exposed how many of America's publications, as well as American news corporations in general, are represented by journalists that serve on Soros-funded boards, including many household names such as The New York Times, the Seattle Times, the LA Times, the Baltimore Sun, the Wall Street Journal, CNN, Fortune Magazine, ABC, USA Today, the Washington Post, NPR, CBS, Huffington Post, the New Yorker, the Sacramento Bee, the Houston Chronicle, Associated Press, and many, many more publications that reported critically on Musk's Twitter takeover. Which also, of course, comes hand in hand with the fact that only 7% of reporters identify as being Republicans, and also the fact that 90% of the political donations that came out of big tech in the last election cycle went to Democrats. And if you were listening there, you picked up on his uh, statements, well established, that George Soros virtually owns our mainstream media organizations or has has enormous influence through his vast amount of funding and through his network of organizations supposedly for public interest these organizations are bill gates likewise bill gates the big fan of communist china as george soros has been until recently george soros now seems turned against has turned against xi jinping but according to lay of lay's real talk who we're going to hear soon shortly uh, he likes his pal Zhang Zemin, uh, who's uh, also a big shot in the Communist Party, was the ruler of China for a while. Anyway, I am digressing here. Let's. Uh, lastly, today, let's listen to an episode of YouTube presenter Lei, that's L E I, on her program Lei's Real Talk, L E I apostrophe S Real Talk program, broadcast May 10th. I, I got to say to YouTube, which is owned by Google. To their credit, they have been allowing these outfits like Lei and others, uh, China in China in Focus. Uh, they've demonetized China in Focus. That's another program from NTD and the Epic Times. Uh, that's the NTD is the television arm of the Epic Times. Uh, but also uh, China in uh, well, there's China Insider too. That's a very good one with David Zhang. That's an NTD and other uh, groups, uh, organizations. Um, Spotlight on China, uh, China Revealed. China Observer, they've been talking a lot about what's going on in China, and you get a much better picture instead of the glowing public relations hit, uh, puff pieces that come out from uh, from these people, uh, their friends on Wall Street and so forth. Anyway, um, Lei 
in this program uh, talks about the flood of rumors lately claiming that the CCP leader Xi Jinping, who's said to be a dedicated Maoist, also known as a princeling, which is one of the people related. His father was a big shot in the Communist Party. He suffered some uh, retribution, some, some purging from uh, Deng Xiaoping, uh, but was then supposedly rehabilitated. Anyway, anyway Xi Jinping, uh, they're saying that he will – these rumors are saying that he will be forced to abdicate by a coalition of CCP adversaries, including an alliance between – an alleged alliance between former CCP leaders – Hu Jintao, I believe, and Zhang Zemin. Zhang Zemin is the former mayor of China's financial hub and powerhouse, the city of Shanghai, and a main rival for Xi Jinping. And a number of these people have survived uh, assassination attempts, according to Lei and others. Anyway, the Zhang Zemin faction of the CCP is said to be still in control of the Chinese economy, which currently is being badly harmed by Xi Jinping's draconian COVID-19 epidemic lockdowns and zero COVID policies. If you're interested, by all means, go on YouTube and play and watch this video. But let's listen to the audio from it now. Play sound by five, please. In recent, In recent weeks, weeks, Beijing, Beijing quietly changed directions. The regime has relaxed the regulatory supervision of Chinese big techs, its wolf warrior diplomats softened the hardline approach toward the United States and praised Sino-U.S. friendship. The party's propaganda also steered away from pro-Russia rhetoric and started Ukraine coverage. And a rumor is spreading that the disastrous Shanghai lockdowns have forced Xi Jinping to accept abdication and that he will step down at the party's 20th National Congress. Has Xi Jinping really lost control of the Communist Party or is it just a rumor? Hi everyone, welcome to my show, I'm Lei. There's never a dull moment in the dysfunctional CCP organization where scheming and fighting are the norm. The rumors about Xi Jinping losing power quickly spread last week. The core of the rumor is that the Jiangsuming faction and the Hu Jintao faction have joined hands and forced Xi Jinping to retire after his two terms. According to the rumors, Li Keqiang will be the new party leader and will work with the West to start political reform within the CCP. They claim that Xi's leftist policies and the zero-COVID direction have derailed the Chinese economy and the new regime will correct it. The rumors started on WeChat on May 1st. After people posted them on Twitter, it quickly spread to China. CCP rumors often follow the trajectory of starting outside China and then crossing the border to go inside China. The rumors have spread so wide that a contact in China reached out to ask for my opinion. His family member and official in Shanghai heard that Xi Jinping's power has been usurped and he will step down in the fall. Whether the rumor is true or not, one thing is certain. The fight between the political factions within Zhongnanhai is getting out of control. She is facing the most formidable opposition he's ever had. In my opinion, this rumor has the Jiang Zemin faction's fingerprint all over it. It is engineered by Xi's enemy to 1. Push Xi further to the left so he's doomed to fail. 2. Stir up the public sentiment that Xi is finished. And 3. Rally support from Western governments and business communities by giving them the mirage of a new China. Here are my reasons. First, it's hard to believe that Hu Jintao would side with Jiang Zemin against Xi Jinping. 
Well, who supported Xi in gaining power ten years ago? They had a common enemy, Jiang Zemin. While Hu was the top leader, he was powerless because Jiang's faction shadow banned him. The Jiang faction is the most evil faction in the history of the CCP. On several occasions, Hu escaped the Jiang faction's assassination attempts. Therefore, Hu and Xi may disagree on policies, but the disagreement cannot be compared to their animosity toward Jiang Zemin. Two. Li Keqiang is unlikely to become the top leader. He is not a princeling and doesn't have the strong backing and support needed to be at the top. Li's biggest supporter has been Hu Jintao, who had limited power himself. Also, I don't think Li is the type of man who would usurp the power from Xi, especially after having announced his retirement just a few weeks ago. The Jiang faction may want to use him as a frontman. But I don't think Li would let himself be controlled by the Jiang Zemin faction. The CCP won't undergo political reform for sure. It has never happened and will never happen. Anyone who tried to initiate political reform within the CCP didn't last long. The cornerstone of political reform is transparency. Any kind of political reform would eliminate or reduce the privilege enjoyed by party leaders and their families. And would expose their wealth. They won't let this happen. Lastly, Xi Jinping won't give up his power. There are still five months until the 20th National Congress. He has plenty of time to maneuver. Since taking the top leadership position, she has learned to toughen up in the wild CCP jungle, be it a financial coup or assassination attempts. To think that he would willingly give up power to Li Keqiang after a CCP leadership meeting is bizarre. Another reason that makes the rumors not credible is the alleged role of the military. One source said that the military remains neutral over the power change at the top. Well, being neutral is not in the communists' DNA. The CCP system requires absolute loyalty. Not picking a side means you are loyal to neither, and it's not something communists do. You have to pick a side, just like in gambling. How did Xi Jinping respond to all this? On May 5th, the CCP's Politburo had a meeting about the pandemic, and she made a few statements. He said that the current pandemic policy is determined by the nature and mission of the Communist Party. He was basically saying that he couldn't have issued a different policy, because the party's nature and purpose demanded the zero COVID lockdowns. What she said is utterly true. Do you think the CCP will come up with policies based on science and compassionate considerations of the people? No, that won't happen. The CCP's nature and purpose decided how the pandemic would be handled, just like she said. She also gave his political enemies a stick warning by saying, "If we won the battle in Wuhan, we will win the battle in Shanghai." He was saying that since zero COVID worked in Wuhan. It should also work in Shanghai. If it doesn't work in Shanghai, the policy isn't the problem. There must be something or someone else causing the problem. Lastly, she sent his enemies three strong commands of how to handle the matters at hand by resolutely overcoming lack of awareness, insufficient preparation, and inadequate work, resolutely overcoming contempt, indifference, and self-righteousness. And resolutely fighting against all words and actions that distort, doubt, and deny China's COVID policies. 
CCTV dedicated more than five minutes to broadcasting Xi's speech, and all major party media and official state media reported it as headlines. On May 7th, the newspaper affiliated with the CCP's Central Commission for Discipline Inspection published an editorial titled "A Profound, Comprehensive, and Complete Understanding of the COVID Control Policy Confirmed by the Party's Central Committee." On the same day, the People's Liberation Army Daily also published an editorial asking the entire military to unify their thoughts and actions to the decision and deployment. Of the party's central committee and President Xi, Xi Jinping is telling the world that he has tight control over the military, and over the most powerful CCP organization responsible for bringing down CCP officials, the Commission for Discipline Inspection. By controlling these two apparatuses, Xi still remains the most powerful person within the CCP. Now, many people don't understand why he doesn't care about the Chinese economy. As the lockdowns are wreaking havoc economically, the answer is she doesn't have total control over the economy. The Jiangsemin faction controls the economy. China joined the WTO during Jiang Zemin's time, when Hu Jintao was in power between 2002 and 2012. He was only a figurehead. Jiang and his faction still controlled China during that time. The Jiang faction still has a tight grip on the economy now. When Xi Jinping fights with the Jiang faction, he doesn't care about the economic crisis, because economic collapse means the collapse of the Jiang faction. In my opinion, the rumor is being spread by Xi's enemies. It's their ongoing effort to bring down Xi Jinping. It's crafted carefully to fool party officials as well as CCP observers outside China. It fooled Hu Xijin, one of the die-hard loyalists. And former chief editor of the CCP's English mouthpiece, Global Times, who posted an article critical of the zero COVID policy on May 5th. Within hours, he deleted his own article and disabled the commenting function after realizing that he got it wrong. It's just a big drama unfolding, and will get worse from here on. Stay tuned. I'll keep you updated. This is the marvelous, wonderful, totalitarian governmental system that is supposed to be a model for future world government, so vigorously supported, promoted, and longed for by our paid-off politicians, cultural, business, and Wall Street elites. The type of totalitarian governance we're all supposedly just going to love being slaves for. You can decide for yourself whether these idiotic elites of ours really know what they're talking about. And doing. That's it for another show. As always, we hope you found its content of interest and value. You can listen to a podcast of today's show when it's posted in the next few days on the Jim Benson Show page at bbsradio.com. Look for us again two weeks from today in this same time slot. Have a great rest of your day and evening.